Lord, we thank you for the gift of being able to live in your presence and in your glory forever. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a hope for this glory and that we would see it as the most wonderful, meaningful destiny that we can all look forward to. We pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that this great gift would be renewed in us this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Start with a a story I was sort of reminded of a few weeks ago. Many of you have heard me say um, with um, great joy and um, grief at times, but gladness when I've described my good friend John Fawcett of many years. He was the person who led our worship as a music minister at Church of the Resurrection, which is our cathedral church. And he was a great godly man and a dear friend. And he went to be with the Lord um, many years ago now. It was probably about 10 years at this point. And um, he had a really horrific form of cancer where it just literally um, started in the brain but began to eat away as his bones and it was extremely painful. And, um, and yet I remember this one time where he talked about as he was, as he was in the last weeks of his life, he would, he would see things. He would see into the heavenlies in ways that if you've been around people who are dying, sometimes happen. Happened with my mom. It happened with many of my friends' mothers who, and fathers who they've been with at, at their death and who are believers. And John, at one point, I was asking him, I said, so, you know, where, where's your hope right now? And, I, and I, I didn't know how lucid he would be. I didn't know if he'd be able even to respond to that in any meaningful way because uh, he was starting to lose his language. And, um, and he said, oh, it's in the chariots that rise up. <laughs> I thought, that's beautiful. You know, he'd, he'd been listening to uh, uh, Elijah. I think it's by Handel. I can't remember. He still loved listening to music, and it could speak to his heart. So when some of his rational faculties weren't so strong, his heart was still able to engage at levels that really blessed him. And, and he had that picture of hope that comes at, you know, in the rising up into the presence of God. And it's described of Elijah that he's taken in these, in these chariots of fire, and he's talking about the, the, the angels that are in the Holy of Holies, in that temple that's not made with human hands. It's made of fire, and these are incredible, awesome, wondrous creatures there that serve the Lord day and night, and they're so entranced by him, they can't help but say, wow, 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 which is my translation of holy, holy, holy. Wow, you know, and these are the angels that bear him up. And that's John's hope. His body is wasting away, but he had this hope. And I remembered then also after he went, the Lord gave me a a dream. I don't know if I, I I think he could have actually presented somehow John to me after he had, you know, gone to be with the Lord as he did um, for other people, but he had to come to me in a dream. I I needed deep reassurance at that time, and sometimes the Lord does this, you know, he'll speak to you, he'll reveal something to you that encourages your faith, and I had had a mother who um, had seizures, and it was just kind of working on me, like, Lord, so I need some encouragement about, like, what happens after we die? So I had this dream, 
And I'm getting into a train. I thought it was like the train between Chicago and Wheaton where we lived at the time. I'm getting into a train. And so it's kind of different because it's dream world, but it's still very much a train. <laughs> so I get in the train and there's John. It's like, John, what are you doing here? Wait, how could you be here? You're, you're dead, right? He says, yeah, I'm dead. But wait, you're alive. Yes, I'm alive. <laughs> and, and he had this like, he had this like, picture of, of, um, of ultimate health, beautiful health. He was like at the, at the peak of his life, you know, and, um, you know, I got, I got close to him, and like, light was coming from the inside of him, so he was kind of glowing, but he was beautiful, like his face. It was John, but there were no imperfections. I couldn't even tell if he had pores because, you know, of the light, <laughs> but, but I said, John, do you, do you have a body? I said, of course I have a body, and I hugged him, you know, and, and um, for some reason in, in the dream, I said, well, I, I think I better get off at this stop. And um, I got off at that stop and it was like 50 years later at my Wheaton College reunion. You know, I got off at that stop. It was just a weird picture, I think, of like, John's with the Lord in a place that transcends time. And he's living in that eternal reality and it is a glorious, beautiful reality. And time is like nothing compared to how it is for us. It's not that time is meaningless, right? It is very, very meaningful. And it's short, by the way. I do notice that. But um, it was very, very encouraging. And um, my heart was filled with a great deal of confidence. I think our faith, doesn't it, you know, like the, the degree of confidence that you feel, it kind of goes up and down, depends. I usually get like after um, we celebrate the resurrection at Easter Vigil, my, I'm like kind of up here. <laughs> and then things happen and life goes on and, and then you, you kind of lose a sense of that. I wanted to talk about that as a beginning because, you know, I read the passage this morning and my, my first thought was, um, yeah, yeah, yuck. I didn't like, I don't like the passage just in my flesh. The, the gospel passage that I just read. And I'm, I'm confessing, I think that's not right because it's gospel, right? So somewhat of a sin. Um, I'm just missing the mark. Like there's something in that that I should grasp that is so good that we can actually call it gospel, which means good news, right? So what's the good news in this? That's what I want to see if we can capture just a, a little bit of that. Can we get just a glimpse of the good news of what Jesus is talking about here? Now, he's, he's at this stage in his career. He has been setting his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He, he, he describes it in Luke as, it's, as he's going to, he's drawing close to the time where he's going to ascend. He's going to ascend. And ascension's actually a really important idea for Luke. The reason I bring that out is it, it kind of connects to Elijah ascending in glory. Ascension and glory is actually a big deal for, for Luke. And you'll see that too in Acts because Jesus ascends. And so Jesus has his, his face fixed towards Jerusalem where he's going to ascend. It's also where he's going to die. So he's going to go down and he's going to go up. He's got his face and his eyes and his intentions fixed towards that. So at this stage, however, and the, the Pharisees and the leaders of the council at this point, they're very upset by him and they're trying to trap him. They've been trying to do it for a while. And that's what these Sadducees are doing. And this, 
you guys remember the joke. I know those of you who grew, grew up in, in the church and did Sunday school. We all know that the Sadducees are, are that part of the, the Jewish, um, the various Jewish traditions of that day. Their tradition held that there was no resurrection. That was why they were sad, you see, right? I know, it's, a, it's bad, but it's a helpful you know, memory device, right? So that's one of the things that Luke points out is that they, they actually don't believe in the resurrection. And they actually have a lot of power. They're a priestly caste, and they're actually living off of the, the benefits of working in the temple and having a lot of influence. And um, they're also kind of very, they're, they're sort of like, I, they come across to me as like people have sort of seen it all. They're like, you know, this is real. This is just how it is, guys. And we know what's best. And they had a very, um, very specific view of what was authoritative in the Jewish tradition. It was just the first um, few books of the Old Testament, the Torah. That was, you know, all of the words of Moses in particular. That was, it had to, it had to be in line with that. Otherwise, it really wasn't that valuable. Like they didn't have as high a value for the prophets, for instance, like Isaiah. But the Torah, Moses' teaching, that was critical for them. And so what they wanted to do is to see if they could trap Jesus using the scriptures. And that's when they pose this little dilemma because in this age, of which they are kind of experts, in this world, you know, the Torah is the best way to live. And it, and it is, my goodness, it's full of God's wisdom. And he shows us how to live and the law is partly how he, he reveals that. And um, one of the things that was provided for in the Torah, particularly for the, the Levites, but I, it seems like it was, a, it was a principle in general, but in any case, what they wanted to do was test Jesus. How are you gonna deal with this principle in the Old Testament and still talk about the resurrection? And uh, you have this, this woman who's married to a man and he dies and the law provided for that man to still have a name that would carry on his memory, so to speak. Like when you're in living in a mortal, meaning you end in death kind of condition, what's the best way that you can carry on anything that is like the life you had? Well, in this world, it would be like having a child. Um, maybe, maybe even a, in that tradition, especially a son. Because what is a son? It says, it says when, when Adam had his first son, a son is the image and likeness of the father. So there's something about the identity that continues after the father passes away. So you would have a wife who would then go to a brother and the name would somehow, somehow still be carried on. Something of you would remain, even though we all die and return to dust. And what Jesus says is where the hope begins. Now, does it feel like hope to you? I, the yuck part for me was exactly what it was for some friends of mine. I was standing in their kitchen yesterday morning and I was saying, this is one of those passages I really am not fond of. I know you've heard me say that about a few other passages. I guess I'm, I'm probably a little bit like Thomas Jefferson, you know, but I'm not gonna do that. You know what I'm referring to? He, he just cut out the parts of the Bible that he didn't like. And thank God I really don't have that choice because I believe it's the word of God, right? So I know there's goodness in here. And so I'm saying this to them, yeah, I gotta preach on this hard passage, I'm ambivalent about it. And they said, um, and, and, his, and, and my, this couple, my friends, the wife said, oh, I know, I don't really like that passage either. It's kinda like the, 
I mean, the person that you love, that you lived your whole life, life with, and, and you raised children together, and, they're, you're, and they have a beautiful marriage. And, and you're gonna go into the kingdom, and it's, it's gonna be more like, oh, hey, Thomas, how you doing? I, that's the person that you, that was your person, person, you know? Oh, hey, how you doing? Like, be, like Jeannie. Oh, hey, Jeannie, how's it going? Having a good time here up in heaven? <laughs> oh, hum. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. It is something much greater than that. And um, what he's talking about is really the destiny for which we originally were created. We were supposed to be in the presence of God all the time. We were supposed to be in the glory of God all the time. The angels, the unfallen angels are. They are creatures of, of fire. And the reason they're on fire is because they're in the holy presence of God. And he is the source of their light and their heat, if you will, and their glory, because it is glory. And that's the glory that he wants. That's the glory into which he's going to ascend. When he ascends, he ascends up into a glory cloud. And he goes right into the presence of God. Why? So that he can share his glory with us through the descent of the Holy Spirit, who is a glory cloud who comes down upon us, who makes us new creatures, it says, Paul says that, you know, Adam was a living soul. And we're children of Adam, so we're in his image and likeness, but we all have an inheritance that ends in dust and death. But Jesus is a life-giving spirit. And so when he breathes life into us, and we're born again in the spirit into his glory, which he pours out from that place of glory above, when we're born into that we get to live in that light even now. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you know how amazing that is? I forget, right? I forget. And I start to think maybe that's not such a great thing, but it is the thing that Jesus looked forward to, which is why he said, don't cling to me, I'm going to ascend. And it's, it's, it's that moment when the spirit descends, the way Paul describes it, he puts a seal on our hearts. The spirit is like a down payment of something that's gonna be ultimately fulfilled. We'll be fully clothed in that glory when we assume entirely our resurrection bodies. But that seed is in us right now. He says it's a seal. You're like, you know what a seal is, right? Like a king back in those days, if they were gonna send a message to somebody, they would, they would take a ring with their insignia and they would seal it in wax and that way you would know this is really a message from that person. This is of them. Earlier in this gospel passage that we're looking at, Jesus is dealing with another way that the Pharisees were trying to trap him. And in that case, they were saying, they were trying to, you know, what about the taxes? Are you going to pay any taxes to, to Caesar? Because that was a bit controversial. And so he said, well, show me a coin. Who's, whose image is that on there? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. And he said, well, that's Caesar's image. That's his seal. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. You know, when you're made in the image of God, render that to him. Now what's happened here is that because Adam had fallen, we had lost some of our identity as children of glory and Jesus has now, by birthing us from above, has restored that. By covering us with his blood, he's made it possible to, for us to be restored to that. And that seal, that Holy Spirit gift, is the beginning. 
So when he comes in his spirit, we're birthed into life. That is our true identity. And these, these Pharise- or Sadducees, rather, they don't have any vision for that. And Jesus t- says, don't you, re- don't you realize that when Moses himself came to the burning bush, it was the angel of the Lord who set fire to that bush. It was the angel of the Lord that was the presence of God that revealed to Moses who I am is and gave him a ministry to the Jews, to Israel, to draw them out of Egypt so that they could even be there as God's chosen people. And that revelation, that, that revelation of the angel of the Lord, most, many theologians believe that was an early appearance of Jesus in, in his glory. The disciples got a little bit of a glimpse of that when they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They had a little glimpse of that, of his glory from before the founding of the world. So there's a uniqueness about this this revelation of the Lord. They call it the angel of the Lord in in the Old Testament. They had no other way of understanding it. And it's it's the revelation of God that spoke to Moses. And he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the living one. In other words, even their death going to dust is not their destiny. They are alive in the living one, I am. Jesus is the I am become flesh, the living one become flesh. He is that revelation of God in the flesh. And then he makes it possible for us to see and know the Father and be in the presence of God the way that he is. This presence has been released upon us. The the veil even between the heavenly temple and us has been removed somehow in Jesus. There was a picture of that when Jesus dies on the cross and the, the earthly temple veil is torn and the spirit is no longer there in the earthly temple and Jesus had predicted that that would be the case and that eventually that temple would die, be thrown over, destroyed. And then Jesus yields his spirit up to the Father and then after he is raised, he's in the presence of the Father sending his spirit down upon us. That revelation of God, that glory of God, the possibility of being in his presence, of seeing him face to face, even now. I, I saw John Fawcett's children a few weeks ago, and I don't get to see him very often, even though he was my best of friends. I wasn't as close to his wife, Margie, but his children, Charlotte and Josiah, they are beautiful children. I can see John in them. I can see who he was in them. They have some of his same way of, of appearing, some of his same light in his eyes, some of his same creativity. I even hear that Josiah is a great piano player and they love Jesus. And that's what kind of hit me is that there is a quality to their life that is so beautiful because really they are like their father. Their father knew the resurrection. He was alive in the resurrection light. He was a son of the resurrection. That's why he could say, my hope is in the chariots that go up. My hope is in the anchor of the one who ascended first so that he might have many children follow him in his train of glory. 
And I could see that light. I mean, there was a quality to them. Like, he's, they're not just John's earthly children. They're actually, they're, they're children of God like he was. They're children of the Father in heaven after whom John is named. I said, that's beautiful. They are filled with that light. Man, if we could really see one another in the truth of who we are, Lewis says that we would, if we could see one another as the saints that we're really destined to be by virtue of the blood and by virtue of our baptism, we would be so awed by the glory of that person that we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. You know, just like people when they would see an angel, a lot of times they would fall down. That happened to John when he got the revelation, right? And the angel had to say, no, don't worship me. I'm not, I'm not God. I know I look pretty good by comparison, but to you. <laughs> but worship God. He's alone, the one who deserves that. And uh, there's this amazing gift of when we become fully alive and we behold the Lord, we're changed into that glory. And as we grow in that, Paul says we change from glory to glory, even in this life. We have a, a seal. Something's happening there. And then it can continue to grow even in this life so that each of us potentially, as we grow in the truth of who we are, we can actually, we can actually see God in our midst. We can see him within the holy of holies of our own hearts where the Holy Spirit dwells. We can see him in one another. Really, we can if we have eyes to see. In fact, that's the basis of a lot of ministry according to Jesus because as you serve the least of these, you're doing it unto him. Paul really got this. Paul really got this. And Paul, if you remember, he was the one who started out being a persecutor of the church. And he was like the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees really thought they knew what it was. They really thought they knew what life was all about. And he was convinced of it. He was a zealot for it. So he's persecuting the church. And you have this story about another person who could see God. His name was Stephen. Remember how they described Stephen? We talked about this before. Stephen had the face of an angel. That's what it says of him. He's so full of the Holy Spirit. He preached the word with such power. He had the face like an angel. It was really upsetting to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the leaders of that day. And, and, and he kept on talking about how they crucified the Son of God just as they had dealt with the, the prophets in the days of old. And he is the vindicated one. He is the promised one. And he's now standing in glory. And they're like, that's it. You're done. You're going to be stoned. And as he's being stoned, he sees the heavens opened up and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father and basically acclaiming him. And his face is so full of light. His face is completely turned to the Lord. It's so full of light. He becomes the seed of the church. All the martyrs recall that, right? It's because the entirety of who they are was given up to the only one who's worth everything that we are. Man, it was like a complete turning of himself at the cost of his own mortal life. And that's what it meant to be a martyr. It was a witness to the nth degree, to the entirety of who he was. That's his witness. 
And I think we, I think our witness goes up and down. Like, I think they had a little bit of an advantage, right? Like when you're in the heat of a moment, you're being maybe put to death for your faith, and God provides grace in those moments, like you, you, you make a complete witness, and it's beautiful, and it's total. And that becomes a seed because, why is that a seed? It's like, man, if he could actually believe that much, that this life is like, it's, it can't be compared to that life. It can't be. And it can't be compared to the glory of God. So this life, as beautiful it is, as it is, and marriage, like, right, we've been talking a teeny bit about marriage. As wonderful as that is, that's maybe a sign. In fact, that's how Paul describes it. It's a sign of the mystery of the eternal reality that we will have together with God. So Paul sees Stephen die. Well, that becomes a seed in his own heart. And then what happens to Paul is that he, he's blinded by the light, the revelation of Jesus, the ascended and glorified one. He sees all of that glory and he is completely turned around and he realizes because he's been persecuting those who are Christ's own, he's been persecuting Christ. So he really understands this notion of glory and how, how important it is that we live in that light above everything else. Uh, you know, he, he, me- he meditates on this in 2 Corinthians. He said, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's only to those who are perishing. You know, because sometimes we're preaching and sometimes even to ourselves, and, but we, we can't see it because it's veiled because we're living so much in the, in the reality of this age and not in the light of the next age, right? They're blinded to that. They don't believe, they don't believe in the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God. But we don't proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember that word? Let light shine out of darkness on the second day of creation when the glory descended first into this reality that we know. Let light shine out of darkness is the same one who has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. So we're being transformed into that same image of Christ in his face from one glory to another. That glory which is the Lord from the Spirit because of the face of Christ. I don't exactly know what it means that, you know, we're not, somehow we'll be like the angels of the Lord. We'll be in the council of heaven. We'll be participating in great glory and we'll probably be like wow, wow, wow all the time too. And I also believe that because we're in the image of one who first made this entire world and then poured out his spirit and hovered over it, that will somehow still participate in creative works, which is really what marriage is about. And we together are the bride of the bridegroom. We together are his glory, because the wife is the glory of the husband, it says in scripture. So somehow we participate in a great fruitful multiplication because this is how he is. In love, he created us, and in love, he redeemed us, and in love, now we get to participate in him in very creative ways through the Holy Spirit. So there's a great hope for us and a great possibility that we can enter back into it. You know, I I alluded to this fact just a bit earlier that 
Something complete about Stephen's witness. He so completely turned to the Lord. So completely had his eyes on the Lord. So completely was filled with the radiance of that glory that I'm trying to speak to that he could bear witness in such a way that a terrible persecutor, beyond hope in a way, from my point of view, could see God eventually and become one of his own. He planted a seed that opened up Paul's eyes and Paul's praying for the church in Ephesus. May their eyes be open to see this way. May our eyes be opened. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I want to pray for us about that. As I think that brings me back to where, where is it that the Lord leaves us? I think we're not pure because there's other things in the heart, right? We're actually looking to other things. We're not so completely oriented the way Stephen was. And part of it's the challenge of living in time, over time. These Pharisees, he says, they, they, they tithe, even like their herbs, but they steal from widows. And at the beginning of the next chapter, he extols this woman who gives just a couple of pennies into the treasury. And he says, she gave everything of her living. And it's a contrast between the woeful behavior of the Pharisees and the complete giving of the self on the part of this woman. She was pure of heart, completely turned over to the Lord. Her affections were single. Her eyes had one, she was a widow. She had one person who she considered her lover. It's, it's the glory of God. So I wanna pray into this just a little bit. Lord Jesus, um, to even speak of these things is, is an impossibility. Lord, I, I thank you for the witness of a couple of my friends who understand the gift, for instance, of holy celibacy, that they love you so completely that the things that we think are everything in this world, like our sexual expression, Lord, they're completely taken up in you. Their hearts have been enchanted by you. And Lord, I know there are many of us here who are married and called to be married, but I pray that we would be enchanted by you that we would know that you are the lover that sings the true love song over our hearts for a household that doesn't end in death but goes on forever, for a life that's glorious not just for a moment but for eternity. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in such a way that through the stretching out of time in our life that we would reflect your light. Lord, we, we are called the light of Christ. We wanna be like you, Lord, and yet we know that our hearts aren't whole and only you can make them whole. I thank you, Lord, that we get to come to our confession in just a moment because we know that it is really only by your blood that we can come back to your presence, only by your blood that we can have, uh, once again, our hearts filled with a vision of you, only by your blood that we can be renewed. And I thank you that you've promised to, to do that 70 times seven. Lord, we want to be renewed and we want to have our eyes open and we want to be able to bear witness you with the entirety of our lives. So Lord, grant to grow us from one glory to another this morning, we pray. And build into that, Lord, a great anticipation of the great glory which is to come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.